It all began at Heath Park on Saturday the 7th of November and came to an end at Morton Daly Stadium on Sunday the 13th of June, a couple of weeks earlier than we would have liked, and the Brisbane Roar's A-League season is sadly over for 2020 and 2021. Good evening everyone, welcome to a fairly sombre edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here with you on a Wednesday night as oh, we're going to dissect in frustrating detail the Roar's a-League elimination final exit for the third time in four years. Scott, how are you? Oh, kind of hitching waves this. It's not great, let's be honest. I mean, look, I mean, we'll talk about the game in a minute, but we all had high hopes. Remember last week we were talking about the finals and how we thought they could go quite a long way and just didn't quite pan out, did it? No, Adam, you picked a good game to miss, didn't you? I did. I'm, I'm probably not as disconsolate as you guys are. Uh, look, at the end of the day, I think uh, they met expectations. Um, and yeah, look, it's uh, he sort of did it as a bit of an epitaph. You know, season 2021, we hardly knew you. But um, but yeah, look, uh, it was bare expectation. But yeah, look, I, I can get that. It's, it's disappointing because it, it did seem to be a, be a lot of promise of a season that remained unfulfilled. It was. And we'll get into the general stuff as we go along. But I do just want to, yeah, start off, well, just probably should do the usual plugs. Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football. You can find live coverage of select NPL and FFA Cup and Kappa Women's Super Cup matches there for the next couple of months before the A and W League seasons get underway eventually. And, uh, yeah, email BrisbaneFootballReview at gmail.com. Comments, questions, show feedback. Uh, you can rate and subscribe to the Brisbane Football Review podcast on Wooshka, Apple Podcasts, if you can get your head around the new update. I still can't a week later. Um, Spotify, TuneIn, and probably a couple of other good platforms as well. In the meantime, we're going to get in and talk about... It was a yeah t- brace from Tommy Urich that gave Adelaide what turned out to be an unassailable lead before Alex Parsons gave the fans at Morton Daly Stadium a little bit of hope about 20 minutes from time, and then Golgol Mabratu came oh so close to living up to his name with a miss-miss a few minutes from full-time. Scott, the match itself, what were your thoughts? Firstly, I'm ignoring that horrible, horrible pun on your behalf. Someone had to make it. Secondly, Parsons' goal was a bit earlier in 20 minutes from time, but semantics... Yeah, it was early in the second half. Semantics, anyway, it was just... They had their chances, didn't they? They had a lot of opportunities the Raw to um to get back into the game at two 0 down and they had I think a lot of you mentioned Golgol had a chance right at the end. He's not he's not alone in that. There were plenty of players who had chance, I mean, chances who could have got the equalizer for the Raw. You could have if you were writing a list on your hand you'd run out of space of players who missed opportunities from in and around the six yard box. It was that kind of the day for the Raw, unfortunately, but they started slowly, James, and it's not the first time this year that they start slowly, but this is the most costly time it's happened. It was in the in this in the elimination final, and Tommy Urich was clinical and he was ruthless. I think he only had two shots on goal for the entire game, and both of them were well taken. I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute about perhaps the defensive lapses that gave him the opportunities, but full credit to him, he was ruthless. Um, yeah, the Taylor's game is gone in five minutes, basically. Um, what was sort of you know, a sort of a, a stalemate of a start, and then 
all of a sudden, Tommy Urich, uh, he bobs up with two goals. And look, it was always going to be difficult for the Raw to get back in it from there. Um, Alex Parsons' goal sort of gave hope. But I think Adelaide were always looking as though they were going to at least go you know, hold on. It may, it may have equalised the two all. But um, yeah, but Raw, I didn't think they were going to win it in, inside 90. Yeah, it kind of felt like when they went down 2-0, I, I think I turned to you, Scott, and said at that time, I was like, well, of course, it's the Raw. They never do things the easy way in the finals, do they? But it turned out to be actually just that little bit too much for them to overcome. And we have to get into the big uh, discussion point, and that revolves around the Raw captain, Tom Aldred, who came in for Kai Truen. And let's be honest, it was pretty obvious from the outset he was well below 100%. And he was found out badly on that second goal. I, I suppose the big question is, do you do you hold anything against Aldred or Warren Moon for starting the captain? No, I, look, I mean, I'm going to take a victory like a minute on this because he called it a couple of weeks ago, but... Actually, I Scott, com- just yep. quickly, pull your microphone up closer to your mouth. Okay, I will. I, so Adam called this a couple of weeks ago, but... To me, I can completely understand why this is why he was played on Sunday. He's the club captain, James. He's been training for the last couple of weeks. I imagine he felt fit enough to um, participate in the game, and I can see why they wanted him out there. Was it a mistake in hindsight? Perhaps it was, but I can see why they did it. I mean, for the second goal in particular, it did appear to me that he got caught out, and perhaps that was where you could see he wasn't 100% fit, particularly in that moment for the second goal where Juric skipped past him on the halfway line. Yeah, look, I did say it a couple of weeks ago that, look, they probably shouldn't have risked Tom Aldridge. They had, they had cover um, with Kai Truen, who had been fantastic all season, that, you know, unless Aldridge was, you know, 100%, you know, you, you probably should have put him on ice, you know, a few weeks ago and said, you know what, set the rest of the season, come back next season. With that said... I still do um, understand why he was picked. And I understand why he played. And that was the gamble that Warren Moon and Tom Aldred took. They gambled, they lost. You know, at the end of the day, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And, you know, had had uh, Raw, you know, somehow held him out for 90 minutes and, you know, advanced on, we wouldn't even be talking about this. So, look, it's just a, it's a gamble. Good on... Um, you know, Adelaide United for actually exploiting that that weakness and you know, and, find, and finding him out. But uh, yeah, look, it's one of those things where they gambled, they lost, and and, and there's not much to do about it. He's, he's a club captain. You're not gonna you're not gonna unless you ruled him out early and said no, you're not playing. He's done for for the season. While they're still lingering down, he was named in the squad and all that. He was always going to play, and that's the risk they took. You know, and unfortunately, it didn't pay off. It was a mistake, plain and simple. But you know, it, it was a forgivable one for the simple fact that what like, Warren Moon has to trust his captain at the, at that stage. Like yep. the physios say, he's good to go. Tom Aldred says he's good to go. You have to trust your captain in the in that moment. And let's be honest, Aldred has absolutely earned the benefit of the doubt. And if you're going to override his decision, then he shouldn't be your captain. So. Yes, it was a mistake, but I don't blame the one bit for making that decision. And as you said, Adam, it was a gamble that didn't work out, and that's what happens sometimes. His leadership was also really important to the way the game was going to go for the particular way it went. And the thing is, James, not only 
everything you mentioned, the sports science and the preparation and the recovery and the rehab from that injury that he suffered would have all, once he went, once he was withdrawn, was it the Newcastle game he had to come off? I think so, right yeah. near the end of the season. Once he went off in that game, I dare say all of his recovery and preparation was singled around that day. It was around be ready for the elimination final or the semi-final if we end up getting in the top two. Be ready for that day. So it was all geared to that point. So once you've done that and he's ticked every box, which I assume he did, you've got to play him, James. You're right. Yeah. It that, may not that... have worked out, but I can, he had to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Aldred posted this on his socials first thing Monday morning. Completely gutted after yesterday where my mind felt strong, my body was not ready, and I take full responsibility for that. The lads have been fantastic this season. It's been a pleasure to watch them play this last couple of months and leaves huge optimism going forward. I'll work harder than ever to come back stronger and ready for next season. Now, this goes on to something that Scott and I were talking about. Sorry, Adam, this feels like you're probably excluded from some weird little social club on Sunday. But uh... oh, Like I said, I was, I was enjoying my uh, venge points, so go on. Yes, anyway, I was going to say, um, yeah, we were talking about it. There's a, we asked, you know, who was going to feel the worst after that loss. And I think it's pretty clear that Aldred definitely feels like he's taking on the responsibility, again, something you would want your leader to do. But I suppose if you really want to look at this as a positive, and let's be honest, we are an overly positive show sometimes, uh, (laughs) he's saying all the right things in that we know he's going to use this as motivation for season 2021-22, and possibly the FA, FFA Cup before that as well. So, look, it sucks. And, you know, he's obviously going to wish that he could have ended the season on a higher note. But at least he's, at least he's put up and, uh, you know, taken responsibility. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, is that, you know, you look at it and you say, yeah, you know, Tom Aldred, he got found out twice, you know, at 20 minutes to go. But look, at the end of the day, I... I it makes me wonder why you know he come out and posted something like that as if you know he was the, he was the bad guy that it was quote his fault when the attack at the end of the day the attack had 70 minutes to rectify the situation and you know we want to go on about who are we going to blame if if we're going to talk about the blame game how about those three guys at the front you know who missed all those chances you know i i just like i said yeah for look on the surface was it a mistake for Aldra to play? Look, you're, you're never going to know. But as, as we've just said, we, you're going to trust what the captain says. But at 2-0 down after 20 minutes, it should never have been a case of, oh, it's over. You know, it, like I said, there were opportunities there that the situation could have been rectified. And as, as I said, if the Raw somehow finds three goals, be it inside 90 minutes or they in a penalty shootout or whatever, we're not talking about Tom Aldridge's, you know, injuries. So, at the end of the day, you know, it, it makes me sort of wonder why he felt, other than sort of, you know, maybe to placate the fans and, you know, make them feel good, um, why he come out and actually said that. Because I really don't think, it's almost an apology. Like, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, usually a positive show, but this is a bit more of a downcast one, James. But I actually agree with what I said. I don't think, the, uh, I appreciate the fact that Tom put that out there, but I don't think mm. it was necessary at all. I don't. I'm not interested in the blame game in this in this whatsoever, but I wouldn't be past if I was going to engage in that stuff, which I'm not going to. But if I was gonna, I wouldn't be putting it at the feet of Tom Aldred. I think there's other people who weren't necessarily at their best, but I just don't think there's any point in playing the the blame game on this one. It just 
it didn't work out. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't work out. Yeah, and that... collectively as a team, they yeah. didn't perform on the day. End of story. Yeah. We'll get over it. His next season. I, I, I agree. And I suppose the only lingering point, no, the last point I want to uh, touch on with this Aldred debate, however, is do you think there are going to be any lingering ramifications heading into next season over this decision? You know, will the next time a, a key player says, I'm good to go, will Warren Moon possibly consider saying, you know, I, I might just keep you on the, I might just keep you on the bench? Because this is the sort of thing that, I, I don't know, I, I can't help but wonder, will we see any sort of follow-through on that as well? It shouldn't. You should, you've got to play these in, these injury cases out, case by case. You know, one person's injury may be different to another's. They may recover from it differently to another person. So I don't think you should be making any blanket rule on that. It's just, it's unfortunate what happened. And it was a really good year for the Royals. We'll probably recap in more detail in the next couple of weeks, but... Again, I say it again, it just didn't work out on the day in the final. I'm, I'm still really gutted about it, to be honest. Even three days on, it's... Because I, I actually, re- looking at it, I really thought the Raw could have gone a long way in this final series, James. The way it's the way it's panned out, I think they match up pretty well with Sydney, particularly away from home, where Sydney have got to put the, put the, would have had to put the pressure on and go for it. I think the Raw could have really exploited them, but it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well... It wasn't all doom and gloom from this game. Alex Parsons came on and basically he, he was a lifeline for the Raw. Came on, scored the header, and next thing you know, it was going to be. Uh, and next thing you know, it was game on at that point. And I'll be honest, the minute that head crossed the line, I thought, "Geez, like you know, this is the script that we've seen unfolding so many times before in a Raw home final. They're going to come back and level level this. The question is." You know, do we go to extra time or do we go or do the Raw somehow find a way to score three in 30 minutes and win the match? Well, that's the thing is, is that it was, let's just talk of the positives, is that, is that um, when, when Parson, Alex Parsons scored that goal, you're thinking, oh, here we go, we've seen this script before. And I think even, I think even you know, Adelaide United in themselves, I think they also felt, okay, here's the comeback. So I think, again, they... They sort of deserve a little bit of credit for at least, you know, in in the case of you know, weathering the storm a little bit, aided by some you know, some pretty you know, awful finishing at times as well. So yeah, but um, look, Alex Parsons, you know, it's just amazing uh, how you know, how important in only a handful of A League senior games that he's that he's had that he's become such an important part of the side because when he comes on, things seem to liven up things. Things sort of just go, you know, seems to sort of, you know, all of a sudden look promising. And as like I said, it's the same thing that, you know, I, I commented on on Alex Parsons about three months ago in MPL. I think it was after the game where he scored a spectacular goal against um, Gold Coast Knights. And he's a player that just comes on in the game and he becomes so important to that, to that side. He, go, he comes on and you know, dominates and just creates. And he's shown that in the A-League now that he's done that. So, look, I think it's one of the big positives is Alex Parsons. I think, you know, he's, yeah, he, he's got a bright future if all things, you know, keep going to plan. And yeah, that is the real positive. And I was talking about time again. It's all the young guys coming in. They've had great seasons. Parsons in particular has been a, an absolute revelation. I know we know it's just in person, James, that once that goal went in, not only did the crowd really start to get behind the roar and the atmosphere was great at... Dolphin Stadium on the on the afternoon, but 
Morton Daly. That too. But also, but not only that, but the um, the time wasting and the theatrical stuff from Adelaide ramped up spectacularly from that moment on. I mean, it was quite quite a scene. Some of the stuff they were carrying on about at times, yeah, which you can it, completely understand from their point of view. They're trying to run down the clock, but they started that stuff very very early. It might have even actually started it in the first half, to be fair as well. But yeah, Young Parsons has had a great season. Yeah. Uh, and on the on that play acting and timing, I did I did notice Delianov starting to take every available second off a goal kick in about the twenty sixth minute. So that they definitely like I honestly think if the Raw came back and won it, Adelaide probably would have looked at it and went, "How did we blow this game?" Because they had it all set up for them, and to their credit, despite losing Craig Goodwin in the build up to that match, they did exactly what they needed to to come away with a win and. I, like, I can't really begrudge them and other than just saying, you know, it's another chapter in what may be the most underrated rivalry in the A-League between the Raw and Adelaide United. It is, and uh, that's like I said, that, that's the one thing that you know, can't be lost in this, that, you know, uh, what a great job that Adelaide United did to, uh, to orchestrate the smash and grab run, basically, because uh, we were all thinking uh, after Craig Goodwin was... Uh, was ruled out with thinking, wow, Adelaide, it's going to be incredibly tough for them to go to um, Morton Daly Stadium and get away with it. But that they did. But also, uh, Tommy Urich, uh, he actually uh, showed up and he showed what a player he can be. And also James Dernoff as well. His... his, um, His keeping at times, you know, while some blown chances, uh, blown chances by the raw attackers, he made some, you know, critical saves as well so I think those those two you know players in particular really sort of you know contribute to that um, performance yeah I, yeah that's pretty much it and it's the weird thing is now like even though the Raw and Adelaide are building up that rivalry I'm actually finding myself hoping that we get an Adelaide and uh, MacArthur Grand Final just solely because I just think it would be absolutely hilarious and seeing the Twitter meltdown of fifth taking on six to be crowned champions of Australia would just be the best thing ever. Well, MacArthur going to be able to get to Adelaide after going to Melbourne. That's a whole other question but they can work out in the future weeks. But I just remember what I was going to say. That rivalry between Adelaide and Brisbane goes right back to day one as well. Some of the antics on the sideline between John Kuzmina and Miriam Blyberg were absolutely hilarious. So it's not only... In the finals, it is actually a really underrated rivalry. I mean, and look, Adelaide have had the better of it in terms of, I think, both in terms of games won, and obviously, in the big moments, Adelaide have been the side who've been able to get the results, unfortunately, haven't they? So, I think it's 3 1 in the finals now, so. Oh, Adelaide won, unfortunately. Yeah, well. That's the end of the Raw season. Um, We will be back with a proper. Raw A-League season in review show probably next week, I'm assuming. We'll work it all out. Um, yeah, so the big question now is, I'll start with you here, Scott. Try and keep this answer somewhat succinct, but where to from here? Yeah, probably more talk about it on the show next week, but I think the um, just, a lot of, there's a lot of positives that the Raw can take out of this season going forward, isn't it? It's, I don't think there's going to be a lot of player turnover downs. That's the one thing we've seen a lot of. There's been a lot of change. I think I think it's more about just building on what they've, they've started this year. That The process of bringing through the young kids like Alex Parsons, Cyrus, Demi, they're the future of the football club, right? So that's where you go from here. You start building the side 
to be able to get the best out of your best players. And I think there's there's some recruitment that's got to go be done. And I think there's already something that's already been completed, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I think there's a lot of positives to build on out of this season, James. The back line is is quite solid. I think that's a something we know. And defensively, they've been really good. Offensively, they've been better this year than they were last year. So there's a lot to build on. It's just getting the right pieces to fit that can take you from being a, a week one of the finals team to a side which can win the competition, and they're not far away. Look, I just think it's a case of um, use use the disappointment of this this season to to build on it. Like I said, who who's to say that you know this is supposed to be a one and done deal for the Raw? They re rebuild, re- reload, and go again. You know, I, I think that cliche of, oh, we go again, I think is even more important. Because as to Scott's point, which I agree, I don't think there isn't too much with this squad that needs to be rebuilt. I think you may need to add one or two new players because you're going you're gonna to lose a couple of players. But I think this core of this side, I think it's already settled, you know, with you know, the spine of Tom Aldred, you know, of uh, Jay O'Shea. Um, you know, it, it, it's a couple more signings to go around those, you know, the emergence of, you know, Alex Parsons and, uh, and you know, Cyrus Demi, who I'm sure who will develop, you know, rapidly over the next, you know, you know season or so. You know, defensively, they're fine. So, so it's a case of let's now, you know, take the disappointment from this and go again next season. The heavy building's been done, James. The heavy lifting is done. Now it's just refining it. That's the, that's the big thing. It is a good position to be in after a few off seasons of, oh god, we've gonna we're going to have to learn like seventeen new names at those preseason games. Starting with who's at in number who's at number three, who's at number twelve, who's at number whatever. <laughs> that was so, two years ago when they were out at Logan in the first game under he shall not be named. I was like, who's that? And who's yeah. that? And I recognised three players out there, which you know what was actually that was a big off season. Yeah, that was. Um, Cool. So, some of the squad turnover has taken place. We'll touch on these stories as well. Danny Kim, as we know, has left the Raw. His destination uh, looks like it's going to be Singapore. Good luck to him over there. And a big loss, in every sense of the word, will be Macaulay Gillespie going to Plymouth Argyle back in England. And I was all set to really lose my mind if Gillespie went to another A-League club, but... I think he's going to go back and kill it in England. I think he's, you know, really well set up. The experience he gained playing here in Australia should serve him quite well over there. And, yeah, another play that all you can really say is good luck and uh, hope it all goes well for you. Yeah, look, I think that was one sign. That I think we hoped against hope that, you know, maybe he'll stick around. But, look, it's not it's not a bad thing. He, he's done his he's done his duty over here. You know, he, did, he, he put in his full two seasons. He fulfilled his contractual obligations. Um, and it's just good on him that he actually, you know, he played well enough for the Raw that, you know, he was noticed back again, you know, in England. You know, play, playing, you know, going back to League One where I think he's going to be a much better player for it. And... Who knows where he could uh, end up? Yeah, you know, he's still relatively young in that sense. So, so yeah. Scott, you got- yeah. I mean, look, the timing of it to be announced so soon at the end of the after the end of the season may be a bit surprising. I mean, I was certainly surprised. I was up late last night or slash this morning, getting ready team news for the national teams. I didn't expect to wake up and see Macaulay Gillespie sign for Plymouth Argyle, but the um. Well, it was a surprise it happened so soon. 
I don't think anyone's surprised that Macaulay Gillespie attracted interest overseas. We mentioned it on the show a few times. Young, experienced player available on a free transfer at a time where the economics of football are very much favouring free transfers. He was always going to be a player who attracted significant interest. And a League One club, James, is nothing to be sneezed at. It's a, it's a good level of football for him. And don't forget, the UK is home for Macaulay. It was never about coming out here and relocating and setting himself up here to stay out here forever, I imagine. It was always viewed as he probably always wanted to go back to the UK. Obviously, for the Raw, we would have loved to see him stick around for a bit longer, but we can, I can completely understand why he's gone to Plymouth and wish him nothing but the best of luck going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really all you can say about that because I think he is a defender that, look, I, I'm not going to go all hyperbole and say, oh, he's going to go and be the best defender in the Premier League you know, in three years or whatever, but I think he's going to go on and be a very solid defender, you know, back in England, and I'm sure he's going to continue to progress because that's the amazing thing. He's still insanely young, which, you know, really is just depressing for me. So um, just on the players' uh, socials that I couldn't help but get a laugh about, uh, Tom Aldred posted a photo of his dog uh, saying someone's not happy that uh, that, uh, Gillespie's leaving. So... There, there is at least someone out there who may not, um, may not take it all that well. So, there is that, and I hope Gillespie is okay letting down um, his canine best friend. Perhaps. How can you let down a canine? That's just Macaulay. You, that's just, <laughs> no. But look, in all seriousness, I mean, look, we wish him the best. I mean, we we kind of expected he was going to be moving on, and it's one of those things, unfortunately. Definitely. All right, uh, the Raw have. Uh, however, already filled that visa spot for next season. The long-rumoured signing of German slash... What else is... He's something else as well. Finish, uh, I think. Finish, okay. The signing of midfielder Matty Steinman was made official thanks to a little bit of help from the greatest ever player to ever play in the A-League, Thomas Breutsch, this afternoon. Yeah, look, uh, that was... Uh, we saw they come up, you know, oh, Thomas Breutsch uh, was, you know, on... You know, on a Zoom call, what looked like it, I think people went sort of uh, went crazy figuring out, you know, oh, what's what's going on here? But um, yeah, look, uh, Matty Steinman, it, it's a solid signing. Uh, he he will provide uh, a bit more depth to that midfield. I think he, he him and Joe O'Shea uh, operating together. I think is a tantalising prospect going forward as far as you know how next season goes. But uh, yeah, look, a solid signing. Uh, he got. He, it's not like he's brand new to this league. He knows what to expect from the A League, and um, yeah, look, it, it, it makes sense. That's that's the main thing. Yeah, it's a good signing, actually, James. It makes sense in a lot of a lot of ways, doesn't it? You can see the experience that he's got now. He's 26. He's obviously got good experience back in Germany. Put mentioned Adam mentioned he played for Wellington. Did really well for Wellington. And so you can see he arrives at a good age with good experience behind him, and he knows the league so the adaption process shouldn't be as big as it is for other players coming out here for the first time so he knows knows the league and knows where he's in for it'll be very interesting to see exactly how it does fit in in terms of that midfield mix though because he's number six James and does that mean Jay O'Shea is going to be released and pushed further forward is it going to be yep. a three in midfield I mean it'll be, it's interesting to see how it works because I think Steinman if he's at his best, and if he's if he brings what he did when he was at Wellington, he can almost anchor the midfield on his own, and allow you to have more midfielders pushing forward, which will allow more bodies in the front third. So, it'd be very interesting to see exactly where he fits in. But it's a 
it's a great bit of business to get done very early in the off season. I think that is exactly what he is going to do. I think Jay O'Shea played in that deep lying holding role purely out of necessity this year, probably being the best one suited to that spot. And um, yeah, I think now with Steinman there to basically just marshal things up alongside perhaps a Ramadak Bari or a Jesse Daly, I reckon O'Shea's going to get pushed forward and he's going to get told run the show from the front and probably even try and pitch him with, you know, maybe five or six goals of his own as the season goes along. So yeah, I, I can't really complain about that. I think it's a nice bit of business and a good um, good addition to the squad because of course the FFA Cup will be coming up before too long and um, obviously you need to have a squad fit and raring to go for that. So I suppose the players will be getting ready for their holidays coming up. I think there may even be a wedding on the cards as well. So I'm sure the players will be looking to make the most of that. And uh, yeah, speaking of the FFA Cup, not long after the A-League and W-League broadcast were announced as going to 10 and Paramount Plus, that same network decided to pick up the national teams plus the FFA Cup. So yeah, it looks like we're getting a new home of local football, or at least a local professional football, with still NPL TV for the local, local action, Adam. But uh, yeah, it, it's good. I think the best part about all of this is not only Channel 10 continuing to invest in football, but the fact that it is all going to be available in the one place for what is a fairly cheap price. Oh, look, I'm that $9 per month. Look, I probably would have paid for that anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that $9 per month for Paramount Plus is more value than all. But I think that's, um, a, that's a great effort. I think um, the, that takes the investment for uh, Viacom CBS up to $300 million, which is an incredible amount of investment. But I think also as well, I... I I can I I'm sorry for whoever posted this on um, on Twitter, but who made an excellent point about uh, about the FFA Cup being on ten, the final will be on Network Ten. Is that there's so many opportunities for the le- sort of the uh, the member federation clubs to get a lot more notice because there, as we know, every year there are some fascinating stories about about these clubs. And what better platform to have than you know, obviously the Channel Ten stable of shows like you know the Project. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a great fan of myself, but yeah, you could use that as a drive as a private platform. We've got their their morning shows and whatnot. So look, it's a it's a fascinating thing to see, you know, the FFA Cup, you know, actually be on free to wear because I think it's a it's a competition that obviously has captured you know, the people's imagination, and it'll be great to be showcased on um on uh, free to wear at last. Absolutely, and I just want to say three hundred million dollar investment in football. Also, uh, $300 million is what they invest in Tom Gleisner every year just to keep him alive and hosting Have You Been Paying Attention. <laughs> Did Sam Pang send you that joke, by the way? Just checking. But no, look, in all seriousness, 10 is all in, aren't they? And On, on football, it's fantastic to see. And Adam's right, the eight ninety nine for Paramount Plus is, is an absolute win for football fans in this country, given how much that we've forked out for Foxtel over the years. It's actually... We, if you purely subscribe to to them for football, you're going to be saving money because Paramount Plus is a lot cheaper than Foxtel is. But the investment that Channel 10 have made in the game here is huge, and it's not to be undersold. I mean, the national teams being on 
on free-to-wear with World Cup qualifiers on a big free-to-wear network is absolutely huge. And the FFA Cup, Adam's right, is going to be great to see. I hope they actually do and do put some of, maybe on the secondary channel throughout the round of 32 onwards, pick out some of these member federation games and really showcase them and, and really educate the non-football traditionalists on the history of some of these clubs. And not necessarily the big ones. Some of the clubs you might never have heard of, educate people on them. And I think there's some real value in that there. And I hope, I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of work put in around this stuff. But the investment they've made, James, it's not insignificant. And what they did for the, I, I, I hate it, but what they did for the, the uh, Big Bash cricket can't be ignored. And if they can do anything like that with, with, with football, we could be in for a great few years ahead. I think that There's also as well, sorry James, just one thing on, on top of that, that eight ninety nine per month, there's also a rumour going around that perhaps that figure may even become less on discount if you are a club member. So Not a rumour. That... Danny Townsend did say that, I believe, on Twitter. So Oh, that might be where I read it from. But um <laughs> but yeah, look, uh actually actually was where I read it to be to be honest. Um but uh, yeah, that, so that's even more incentive to not only you know, subscribe to Paramount Plus, but also as well. Yeah, you know, become a club member. Yeah, absolutely. The, he, he, uh, I'm not going to try and go too far down the uh, shilling for the um, you know club memberships path, although I'm sure yeah, Josh no. from the Raw would appreciate it. But y- there are benefits <laughs> to it as well. Like I, I've got a fantastic collection of scarves that I've built up over the past decade plus, so and caps as well. And and I know someone's been knitting them all together because it's always in front of us somewhere. See it in the um, stands yeah. at Mort Daly Stadium. <laughs> it's actually quite cool. So. That that is actually yeah a very cool little uh, bit. Of... I, I can imagine that. If you I, own I that, let us know because I don't. I would love to know who actually owns that. I yeah, think that that scarf I can see in about ten years' time just being the whole length of one pod. I can see it. Be, gonna... I can see it being a cape. <laughs> and I think I know who it is, but I don't want to give. Uh, yeah. Credit. So I'll we'll let uh, that come back in the uh, comments of this show. Uh, I'm trying to think what news story to get to next. Speaking of the member federation clubs, actually, Scott, there was a highlight you wanted to bring up from the weekend. Oh, yes. So we did record our MPL Sunday show. It wasn't our best effort on Sunday night for obvious reasons. But Liam West, an unbelievable guy. I don't know if Football Queens have actually put this out or not, James, on their socials. They I, have. Yeah. They have. They I have. would imagine they have. Yeah. It's an unbelievable strike from um from Liam West to Southside Eagles. It's um reminiscent of Beckham in a way, actually in the way he just hits it from just inside his own area. An unbelievable strike. Great goal. I'm not normally a big fan of the long-range spectacular goals, but that was a great strike. Um, so, uh, Scott, I'm guessing you're going for a free burger or something at Southside Eagles? Sure. When I venture down to <laughs> Memorial Park next time, or Park the Perry, wherever, wherever, depending on which, which, which ground they're hosting their game, I will absolutely um, be taking them up on that offer. Get some, get some good eating at Oxford Street. Oh, yeah. Wow, that sounded really bad taken out of context. Anyway, um, there was a W League uh, departure that... No, I didn't forget, Scott. I'm actually just getting to that. I'm trying to go for natural segues here, unfortunately. Uh, go well, that ship has sailed. Forget that. We can't host the midweek host. Stop fighting. <laughs> um, Kim Carroll, uh, the defender who was playing for the Raw last year, is returning to Perth Glory uh, was it 83 appearances, Scott? Uh, 71. 71. 
It's just interesting, so, though, because the Raw have lost so much experience, James. Who do you reckon of all the players still currently contracted at the Raw has made the most appearances? It's a mad uh, one. Uh, I Katrina, Ga- get... Katrina Gorey doesn't count, by the way. There goes my guess. Um, I'm going to say... One of the... Is it going to be like... No, it wouldn't be Jamila Rankin. I'm... You want to give me a little uh, area of the right field? Area, right area of the field. Plays in that kind oh, no, of area. I'm... Torpy? Uh, it is Torpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the smartest man alive! With, the, yeah. with 43, but that just shows you Torpy. how much... Look, it's a, we'll talk about this probably more going forward, but the Raw and the W have lost a lot of experience, so... I'm they're just going to go from a very experienced team to a less experienced team, but... I found that mad when I was looking at the stats the other day, but now that Torpy is the most experienced player at the Brisbane Raw. Well, the good news is there are plenty of uh, talented players they can pluck out of the NPL ranks, and I know for a fact Jake Goodship is scouting those ranks, or at least watching them on NPL TV, so I don't think... uh, I'm sure they'll be able to restock the cupboard with talented players. Found some good Um, players there as well this year, too. I would also say... uh, it seems like fairly. It seems like a near certainty. Winnie Heatley is going to shift one inside from right back to centre back and take over that spot that was previously occupied. Happy birthday to Winnie Heatley as well. Yes. Uh, from what I've seen, is uh, hanging out with Caitlin Torpy in New South Wales. Yeah. So, uh, the final story that we have to touch on. It has been a fair. We did start off on a fairly negative note, but I feel like we've brought the overall tone up, and this is only going to send it to a whole other level. And Postacoglu is now the manager of Celtic FC. And I would like to just point out, if any A-League club is going to lay claim to Ange, it has to be the Raw. That's where he won his titles. Agreed. Yeah. South Melbourne can lay claim to him as well with the NSL, but in terms of A-League, it's got to be Brisbane Raw. They're, they're, this is the place where Ange Postacoglu reignited his career. Let's be honest, after a pretty disappointing stint with the national team's in the youth ranks, we all know what he did here in Brisbane and we all absolutely loved it and enjoyed it to the absolute nth degree. And what he's actually gone on and done, James, is absolutely remarkable. And he's a, We know he's a man who loves a challenge. He doesn't believe anything is impossible and he will look at this Celtic job as almost the ultimate challenge. People saying Scottish football is, is route one, route one sort of football, all the rest of it. He will go there and say, no, I can change that. I'm going to play my style of football and we're going to win. And the pressure will be on from day one given that Rangers won the league for the first time in a long time. I think by Celtic, a lot. They won it by a lot. I think Celtic won the previous nine and they were expecting to go ten in a row. So there's a lot of disappointment at Celtic after the way last season went. So he will be walking into that knowing he has to get early results. But if they back him in, my goodness, is he going to deliver some great times there at Celtic Park and... I think we all we all know what he can do. We all hope that Celtic give him the time and the ability to do it because if he can, it's going to be a great story for Australian football. Yeah, look, uh, Ange Foster Coglu is either going to be a Celtic legend or he's going to get sacked in three months. That's the nature. That's the nature of the beast. we're being positive. Yeah, well, that is that positive. Is, yeah, that is that is positive. But such such is the pressure and buzzsaw nature of that job. Um, but look, 
assuming he doesn't go all completely pear-shaped, uh, I, I, I would dare say that this would mark Ange Postacoglu as the greatest football manager Australia's ever produced. Some would argue probably the greatest manager slash coach Australia's ever produced across all sports. Because going to the magnitude of, you know, what, you know, where he's come from, where he's gone. Look, Celtic, I know, as you said, as people have said, you know, Scottish football, you know, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, it wasn't what it used to. But Celtic are still a club that have a global identity, a global fan base, and he is going to be the man in charge to take him forward, you know, in that. So with, with what comes of pressure with that, I think also, you know, be triumph on that. And I think if he can... I agree with Scott. If if they back him in, and they let him do his thing, give him the time to do it, he could revolutionise, um, you know, that club, and at least then you know compete again, or, and if not, exceed, you know, Rangers. Yeah, the point that you made, uh, Scott, about Ange backing himself, I just love like the story I love most about him was saying, you know, I don't want to just go to a World Cup. I want to win it now. I think as we've learned in his time with the national team, his style of management, probably not best suited for a national team that's only together for, you know, 10 weeks out of the year. But if he can get, if he can get to a club, get them to buy into his uh, philosophy and get everything uh, clicking, you're right. He's going to, he's going to make Celtic arguably the most watchable team in Europe. And I really hope he does it because the other thing as well, I've seen this a lot on the Optus Sports socials from, I think, the Football Belong series, which is just insanely good as well. Like, he doesn't buy into what he calls the cultural cringe in Australian football. Like, and I completely subscribe to that theory as well. You know, he thinks, you know, the, he would think, you know, the whole PK League heckling thing, all the stupid stuff on soccer Twitter. And, you know, you see the uh, A-League meme stuff, you know, just pointing out all this stuff from, you know, the bubble that they apparently love to live in. He wants to take the game to a higher standard. He will do everything he can to take the game to a higher standard. And he's going to be a fantastic advertisement for Australian football. Yeah, that quote, I forget, I don't have it in front of me, that quote about um, not wanting about wanting the back pages to be about football and not AFL and NRL is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant quote. But I think you're right, he's not a... He's not an international manager, is he? He's a club manager. He's a very hands-on manager in the way he wants to go about things. And he'll ruffle some feathers up there at Celtic Park too, James. It won't just all be pretty football from day one. We saw this at the Raw. There will be players in that squad who he will look at and say, yes, yes, no. And that no, cut. Uh, and that no, it may be a very popular player. It may be a senior player who's been there a long time, but it will be, it will be all around... Built for, looking at players who suit exactly what he wants, and if he's able to do it, I'm—I mean, I'll tell you—I haven't watched much Scottish football in my life, but I can—I can assure you, I'll be watching plenty of Celtic next year. I'm—I'm I'm yeah. so, I'm so intrigued with what's going to happen up there because it's—it could—it's going to be must see one way or the other. Uh, I will just say two things quickly, and then we'll go to you, Adam. Uh, first of all, I'm cancelling my Foxtel subscription tomorrow, actually, but um, definitely keeping. Sure, K- we'll do that. <laughs> There's plenty of other ways to access that. Well, I was going to say, I'm still, I'm, be in connect. I've, I've got a KO account. I'll be getting a KO account <laughs> just because that is significantly cheaper. But also, I, when you were talking about him going through the squad, I just had this um, quote from that Simpsons episode where Homer takes over Bart's Pee Wee Gridiron team. 
Didn't we use that credits? two years ago when the Raw made a massive amount of departures? We probably sure. did. We've been doing this show for quite a while, so I wouldn't be surprised if we're starting to run through old Simpsons jokes. But I can see him running through going, uh, Shira, you're cut, etc., etc. Anyway, Adam, final word on Postacoglu. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, I think he, you know, those I was just going to say about, uh, yeah, Foxtel might be very, very, uh, might be pleased about the uh, Postacoglu um appointment because at least then they might keep a few football fans from uh, not cancelling their subscription but then again uh, yeah be in connect they, they they have their own thing or as a KO yep now because we don't have a Raw A-League match to preview next weekend we're going to keep going um, with I suppose just our summary of everything that's been going on we've missed quite a few stories in all honesty as we try to keep this podcast to about an hour every week but um, the Matildas they had a nil-nil draw with Sweden overnight, and uh, the hero was goalkeeper Tegan Micah on debut, Scott. It was. She made her debut, another young Queensland player made her debut, and nil-all draw against Sweden. I mean, it's not a bad result in isolation, is it, a draw against Sweden, but it's a fourth straight game without a win for Tony Gustafsson, and if things do go wrong at the Olympics, the pressure's going to be on. Because it is, it is the expectations on this group self it self they put it on themselves that they have high expectations and I can completely understand why four games without a win you'd hope that changes at the Olympics well I'll tell you what here's, here's a prediction for you yeah they bomb Olympics and my pitchfork and my torch is coming out because um, quite frankly you know to like it's not it's not Great at the moment. At least they've solved one area. That's that's you know defensively that you know they kept a clean sheet. The only thing is that I think that I don't think either side was really willing to show much their hand considering their opponent, their group opponents in in Japan. So nil nil all draw. I think a lot of um, keeping to their own chest. But yeah, if, um, I, as I said, it all comes down to Australia and New Zealand. Um, the fir- first game of the Olympics. If Matildas lose that. Oh, there's going to be trouble. Uh, well, if they do happen to bomb in the Olympics, I'm fairly certain there's a really good uh, women's football manager that's recently uh, just become available, Alan Stadich, I think. <laughs> nah, I couldn't. That wouldn't work. <laughs> That'd never work. Yeah, well, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. But um, yeah, I like the clean sheet. I'm happy with. Obviously, I would have liked to have seen them score and keep a clean sheet, but it does feel like this is very much a long-term project. And I know they hired Gustafsson to like do well at the Olympics, but I do wonder if this is kind of like when Ange took that really... When Ange basically used the World Cup as an experiment uh, for the 2015 Asian Cup with the Socceroos... And maybe they're just trying to use this as a launching, uh, use the Olympics as a launching board uh, for the uh, 2023 World Cup because it, that feels like it has to be priority one, two, three, four, and five. I'm actually hoping that these four friendlies are almost like what Ange did in the friendlies between the World Cup and the and the Asian Cup, where we played a whole bunch of friendly games and none of them were particularly flash, and we all went from thinking, "Oh, did Socceroos could win the Asian Cup at home?" to thinking. Will they be able to really do it, having given what we've seen in the last six months? And all of a sudden, you know what they did in the Asian Cups. But the friendlies in between the two weren't the best. I'm hoping 
for the Matildas sake that these friendlies are akin to that and that they're about to peak at the right at the right time in Tokyo in what, is it next month two months from now I'm not even, I'm not even I don't even know when they're on to be honest oh, it's, yeah, it's about a month away yeah it's really not that far away yeah. and it's July 21st so a, a no, month from now yeah um, I <laughs> I still don't know how the Olympics are going ahead, but that's a editorial for another day. Let's get on to the Socceroos. The perfect Socceroos, something I did not expect to be saying uh, when Graham Arnold took over, but an 8-for-8 eight eight record in their qualifying group. Um, you see some comfortably top, uh, what was it, Group B or whatever it was, and yep. stroll through to the second phase, uh, third phase of World Cup qualifying, where they're going to be drawn in a pot with five other teams for and the top two will get an automatic spot in the World Cup I I've got to be honest like I didn't know what to expect from this uh, squad in their Middle Eastern hub but Harry Sutar how good is he and Aiden Krustic too it's gone quite well over there actually hasn't it in the hub I mean a lot of the games we knew they were going to win and win quite well and they did do that and this was always going to be the big test against Jordan Oh, the biggest test they could get in this phase, and got a bit of revenge against them, James, because they're out, they're done. That's the so the Socceroos have had their struggles with Jordan over the years, and they won't. The good thing is they won't be playing them again in this cycle because they're, they're through and Jordan are not. But it was a pretty good performance, actually. And Harry Sutar is he is becoming a real factor now. It's not just a one-off or a two-off thing where he's getting himself on the end of things in the box at set pieces. He's becoming a legitimate weapon and. Unlike with Timmy Kaya, where it can sneak up on you because he's so short, no one's going to miss Harry Sutar, but he's becoming a real factor, and going forward against some of these Asian teams, he could be a real, real influ- really influential player in the final round of qualifying. Hopefully, fingers crossed, this time it is the final round of qualifying, not what happened last time. But in the next round going forward, he could be a real real factor. Yeah, I think... Oh, oh yeah. you go. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, I really, really like this centre-back pairing of Harry Suter and uh, Trent Sainsbury. Um, and, and, yeah, you're right. Look, um, yeah, having a player the physical size and strength and heading ability of Harry Suter, that's going to really, you know, that's going to really gonna be problematic for some of these Asian teams. As you know, that, you know, they're not the most... Uh, Australia is seen as a bit of the, you know, the physical sort of, you know, battering rams, you know, in in Asian football, you know, with the size of their physical play. So to have a player like that, I think there's this whole the whole back. I think Frank Karasic as well has been a uh, revelation. Thank you, Scott, for for the uh, tip on him at the start of this uh, hub. But um, but yeah, it's um, look, I, I think we've to say that you know. The, coming out of the Socceroos, you know, eight for eight and going into the next round of qualifying, you know, with a lot of momentum confidence, you know, you, you take that. But um, that, with that said, the hard work begins now. I think the most impressive thing for me was the fact that they got through the whole hub uh, and not and not just these four games, but the ones that they played beforehand as well, uh, pre-COVID. They got through qualifying conceding just two goals. And we all know, like... Sometimes the Socceroos can be a little bit lapsed defensively, and that was one of their big issues um, last qualification and even beforehand. Two goals conceded. I know they weren't exactly taking on, you know, this current French side or whatever, but that's still got to be something that you can hang your hat on. 
It is, and it's it puts them right up there with Qatar and Japan for the best defensive records across Asia and South Korea, for that matter, in in Asian World Cup qualifying. It is, it's it's not defensive football, but it's a really strong defensive foundation. I think Adam's right. That defensive two or three that they've got there at the moment is a really really solid foundation of which you can build upon. And if Frank Harrisic can replace Ryan Grant in that left back role, right back role going forward as I hope as I forecast and fingers crossed it happens but I do think going forward defensively it's quite solid and it's and then it's just the age-old question with the Australian national team have they got enough goals in them James that's probably the one thing you look at against the top quality opposition do, do they have the players who can score the goals it's all well and good to have Harry Suter popping up at set pieces all the time but you can't rely on it all the time you can, they need to find some other outlets, and I think maybe that might be the only thing you'd look at out of this hub and say, did they find enough avenues to goal? Yeah, that could be it, but um, that could also be solved uh, with the playmaker, Aiden Hurstich, who, yeah, it just seems like he fit in really, really well. And well, I still feel like the likes of Moy, Rogic, etc. They'll make a difference when they come back. Yeah, but let's when they come back. But I was going, well, what I was thinking more was a case of like on paper and just you know watching them in a vacuum those guys are clearly better players but I do wonder if someone like Hrustic is better suited in this system and you know that gets into all the semantics over you know who's getting asked to do what and everything um I did see a rumor today that Aaron Moy could be going to Celtic so that could also be awesome um now I'll finish off finish this off with a bit of a look ahead to the next phase of qualifying and run through the possible opponents for the Socceroos. So, uh, the Socceroos have been drawn in pot two with South Korea, so they can't be drawn in the same group as them. Who would you rather face? Adam, Japan or Iran? Uh, Japan. In a heartbeat. You do, you do not want... You don't want to go anywhere near Iran. Scott? I think Adam's right, but I just have a funny feeling where Australia is going to draw Iran here. I mean, the history between Graham Arnold... <coughs> Sorry, Graham Arnold in Iran. We're not going to go over it, but it was his oh, it was his retirement game as a player. Fingers crossed for his sake that it's not his retirement game as a coach. But I just have a funny feeling we're going to get Iran this time, James. Oh God, they're not going to host them at the MCG, are they? Oh, they're going to do it. You know it. <laughs> no, actually, no, they won't do it because I want to. There's as little of that involved in it. whatsoever. So it'll be in Sydney. They'll do that. But those highlight. Those horror show highlights, quote unquote, are going to rear their ugly head once again. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, pot three: Saudi Arabia or UAE? Scott. Uh, I'll take Saudi. UAE is a pretty good side. I'll take the Saudis. Adam. Nah, either either are manageable. All right. Pot four: Iraq or China? Uh, I, we'll go back China. to Adam. We'll go to start with Adam. You said China. Yeah, China. Same. I think Iraq is a side we've struggled with over the years at all. Age levels, Socceroos, junior national teams, I would much prefer to play China than than Iraq. And pot five, Scott, Oman, Syria. I mean, do we really want to go through the Syria thing again after what happened (laughs) last time against them? I mean, I think they'll probably probably end up happening now, but I'll take Oman. Well, Adam? Uh, we got a good record against Oman, and that, that will depend on what time of year they're drawn. Um, but either way, it's uh, it's uh, given the Socceroos record in the Middle East, um, it's not not a great pick either way. I would actually, I actually am almost tempted to ask if 
you know, the Socceroos um, draw Syria by the time international borders have uh, opened up again, I could do with an away day in Malaysia. That's, where did they play? Is that where they played the game when Syria yep. posted? That okay. was a huge win for the Socceroos instead yeah. of having to go to the Middle East yeah. and then back to Sydney for I can almost guarantee you they will not make that mistake again, even if they've got to play it in Amman or, or They'll be playing like anywhere not... else other than over there. They'll, pl- yeah. they'll play it in Norway if they have to. <laughs> um, and finally, Vietnam or Lebanon. Uh, Adam? Oh, jeez. Even the home tie, there's a big populations for both. So, uh, look, Vietnam just for just for something different. Uh, uh, Scott, Lebanon for the crowd. I'm going to say yeah. Vietnam just again for the hope of, of, of an away day. It's not yeah, quite, it's... Ba- Ban- Banquet Stadium. They'll probably pack that out for a Lebanon home game. Or yeah, um, I, I truth be told, I would just yeah. I am still thinking of uh, away days, even though it's not quite as appealing as when the Socceroos could have been drawn with the Maldives. I might change that to Vietnam because I think otherwise then pretty much all the soccer is away games would be in the Middle East if it's Iran, if Iran, Iran and Saudi. So I would probably prefer not one game not played over there because to Adam's point, it's, our record in the Middle East is not the best. So Vietnam's probably a better option. There we Ku- go. Kuwait is, Kuwait is uh, to the Socceroos like um, Central Coast Stadium is to the Raw. That's about the only place that is that you know you can go to and the Socceroos will do well. Everywhere else, it's just a minefield. Yep. All right. Well, I think that is going to be enough for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you again, James. Adam? Thank you, yes, Adam. Thanks, boys. Yeah, and uh, I would say, you know, it might have been a fairly somber beginning, but we really did pick things up and ended it on a quite cheery note. So I'm pretty proud of that overall. Or at least I think we should be. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We've got a huge weekend of local football coming up. FFA Cup uh, final round qualifiers all all live on uh, the FQ and FFA Cup Facebook page. I would especially recommend tuning into Magpies Crusaders United taking on Edge Hill 7pm Saturday. It is going to be an excellent uh, fixture, but make sure you tune into all four because we will see who the local Queensland participants are then. Until... You better hope for you better hope for your sake that Olympic and um, potential power don't go the di- don't go the distance. Pretty much, yeah. But <laughs> e- either way, we've got four fantastic ties. Um, if you can get out Brisbane Classico Friday night at uh, Corporate Travel Management Stadium, Penn Power Olympic at AJ Kelly Park, Magpies Crusaders uh, hosting Edge Hill at, up at Solajinkin, and then Sunday Gold Coast Knights are taking on Sunshine Coast Wanderers. Tune in. Get out to the grounds if you can. There's a whole lot of local football. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back with our A-League season review next week.